All right, this is the ninth episode of the NSL podcast. We are back today with a couple cool segments for you guys. We are doing a tech interview with Lacey Lewis from Smithville School District, a tech integrator out there. Angela's doing that one. And then we're going to do a little bit at the end um, all about youth sports and its connection to education. So really excited to get back in with you guys for episode nine of the NSL podcast. Hey guys, this is Angela Rippey with the NSL EDU podcast. I am here with Lacey Lewis, who is our innovation lab uh, Encore teacher. She also is kind of the mastermind behind all of our technology pushes at Eagle Heights and also my mentor teacher. Hey guys, I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Angela, for having me. Yeah, of course. We're so excited to um, talk technology with you. So I guess kind of where I wanted to start was, um, like, this is your first year doing the innovation lab, right? For that is correct, yes. Okay, and you just told me that, that this is the second year that our district is doing this, right? Yes, this is our second year of having the technology and innovation smashed into one. Yeah. So can you tell me kind of, like, what's the, since it's all kind of new and you kind of are coming into it now, um, like, what is the vision of it? What are you guys, like, what's the goal for innovation? How do you, how did you make that class? How do you decide what to do? Like, that kind of stuff. Like, what, what's the idea of it? All right. So we had um, two teachers that were previous, previously in this position, one that was K2, one was, that was 3-5. And they started working on the curriculum last year using the um, ITSE standards, the International Society for Technology and Education. And they tried to tie it to what the teachers were doing in class. So they looked at the the glees that the teachers were using and um, tried to line up where they could. And then with the innovation portion of it, the maker portion of it, we have just tried to find awesome, innovative ideas that we can tie in with those standards as well. Do you, so like, what do you think that, like, when you're working on those kinds of ideas, are you brainstorming with other people? Or are you kind of Google searching? Or where are you getting those ideas for, like, I love it when you, I just even love hearing that when people say, like, maker, you know, like, because I like to go to maker fairs, and I like maker, the idea of maker spaces. Like, where, where are you kind of drawing some of those ideas from, or, you know? So we have gone to maker fairs together um, to get those ideas we are big on checking out um, Twitter and other blogs and types of things to get our ideas. But thankfully, I have two other wonderful women that I get to work with and bounce ideas off of. Um, and so we all just bring our backgrounds. One of our girls' um, husbands works at Bayer, and so we've used his knowledge, and we just try to we bring it in from anywhere that we can. Awesome. So um, one of the things that I've asked you before that I think is like that I think would be really hard and I think this goes for all specials or encore teachers is like seeing all the grade levels in the building and trying to like plan lessons for them and like I like it kind of goes with what you're saying about how you guys align the standards and align the glees and like you were telling me that and it sounds so interesting to me that like our local like this local district like kind of did a survey, basically, is that right, for what the classroom teachers wanted, and so you kind of made your lessons based on, like, hey, these grade levels, is that right? That is, yes, you're accurate. So last year, um, the tech facilitators, which I was a tech facilitator, even though I was not in this position, we did a survey to teachers of what technology skills 
they wanted students to know before getting to them. And so they, so we took all of that knowledge and used it to help us create our pacing guide for the technology portion of it and how we could um, incorporate that with our innovative design process and make those two things mesh really well. But yeah, we spoke to the teachers about what they wanted the students to have mastered prior to coming to their grade level to help them be more successful in the regular classroom. Yeah. One of the things that I really feel like I appreciate is that, um, and in fifth grade, like, or sixth grade or any of these upper grades, I think it's really true, is that um, by the time the kids get here, they know so many things. Like, they have a lot of, like, computer fluency by the time they get to me. Like, if I'm, you know, I had, I was kind of slow this year getting a Google Classroom kicked off and like honestly the first day that I really like put an assignment on there they all it was like kind of seamless like I didn't have to go through the process too much like I just have the codes written on my boards for each of my classrooms and like they just know how to do it like they just know how to use Google Classroom they just have some of these basic skills a lot of kids already know about scratch coding whatever I'm trying to do stuff you know with that which I'm not in the classroom a lot but it's I'm just really impressed having that and I think like just from my side of it I really like to have this innovation you know on the technology um, piece of it because it does it feels like as a, in the general classroom it does take a lot of time when you're like trying to go through all these and so to have that is yes. has been a huge that's help. been our push yeah. this year is what can we introduce in our rooms so that teachers do not have to worry about the logistics and is it going to work and do they have the correct login and that sort of thing. And being a Google school has helped us out because we've been able to explore those apps very well and um, any apps that you can log in with your Google login have, have been flawless because it's so much easier than having to create a new login each time. Yeah, it has been wonderful. Um, so kind of transitioning from that, I'm wondering uh, if there are tech tools. <coughs> like I know um, before you went from here, you were a classroom teacher. So I'm wondering if there are things that you specifically liked to use when you were in the classroom, things, and you're doing kind of our tech push. Uh, what is it, our tech challenge? Or yep, what is that? our um, <laughs> EHE tech yeah. challenge. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> um, so you're doing, you're kind of doing that for all uh, the uh, staff here, and so I'm wondering, like, what are those? What are some of the tools, and like, why do you like them? Like, what are some of your faves that okay. you think help teachers? Um, being that we are a Google school, I always push the Google apps. Um, my favorite of my favorites in Google apps, I normally say Google Drawings, but as I continue to work with slides, it's probably my fav favorite because of its versatility. It can be used to inform, but then the kids can also use it to. Um, create wonderful posters due to the guidelines that are on there and um, all the ways that you can manipulate the the icons and words and all of that. Um, I love Google Drawings so much um, from creating posters to show knowledge um, to me creating um, like matching activities where they create they have to drag and drop the things in the appropriate places and then turn in on Google Classroom. Um, so those would be my two, like, big, big ones. I um, absolutely love quizzes. If you haven't used it, you should. It's yeah. wonderful for your introverted students because Kahoot gets all of our extroverted students ready and that was going your crazy. That point to me when you were talking about that is that, because I would feel stressed doing Kahoot probably. Like, it's fun. The kids love it. It's high engagement. And then you were talking about how quizzes is like that, but the introverts buy-in they they do buy in they, um, the questions are on their screen they are working at their own pace so if they're on question one the person next to them is on question two it is what it is 
Um, but as a teacher, you still get that feedback. So if you need it for some formative data, you have it. And so, like, with quizzes, so, like, this is obviously now I'm personally <laughs> interested in this. So, like, I can take that more, like, a formative assessment. Like, I can get the individual data. Like, with yes. because normally... I mean, with CUDA, it's always the anonymous nickname, basically, is what I normally Correct. have them do. And then I have them pair up or partner up, usually. So I don't actually know. I just see overall, like, a class, kind of a class litmus test or whatever. Correct. But I don't know with individual students. So with quizzes, that's something I can more maybe pull some individual data. Correct. Right? And then you can okay. um, set it, I, th- I believe, if I'm not in- incorrect on this one, I think you can set it for, like, game mode or for, like, quiz mode. So okay. they on game mode, they get to continue to play to get that practice, whereas quiz mode would be one time. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm. that's one of those things. That's been one of them that's in the background of my mind that I'm going to try for this um, tech challenge. Yes. <laughs> and so. it's so much um, – the reason I like it is it is quick and fast-paced, yeah. but, like, your longer questions, they have more time to – process that and some of our kiddos need extra time to process the question that's at hand yeah that is really fair that's something we talk a lot about because that is one of the things that falls by the wayside and I do that a lot I need a lot of process time and I steal it from the kids because I'm like do it do it yeah exactly you know? and yeah. that's what Kahoot is it's like go 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 and, it, and in, in the music yeah. in Kahoot is just like yeah. boom, 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 boom. Yeah. <laughs> ready to go um I'd say another tool that I really like is Padlet and in, for the same type of thing like you can use Padlet to inform students we have kindergarten teachers they are awesome they are creating a Padlet word wall for their kids and then they're using ThingLink to upload voices um of like how to say the word wall word but they're attaching it to their Padlet they are fabulous um okay, tell me what ThingLink is okay also. Awesome. Um, And then the other reason I like Padlet is, so our fifth graders are getting ready to do a tiny house project, and they are going to upload their blueprints to a Padlet, and then they have to leave three um, constructive responses to somebody else. And so you can collaborate on it, um, multiple people can be on it, or you can um, keep it down to one one set, like one person in charge, um, like the kindergarten teachers are. ThingLink is fabulous. Also, it is a program where you upload a photo, and then you can link things to it. So videos, other pictures, your own words. You could take, you could do um, work of your own and upload it um, with a picture. So tell me again how you said the what grade is doing this? Kindergarten. The kindergarten uh-huh. grade. And what are they doing? With so they the... took their word list and um, on ThingLink they've taken their word list and they have uploaded a voice recording of every word and then they put it on a padlet and they're just going to keep continuing to add to that padlet so that all the word lists are in one place for the parents to find them okay all right got you and so the way they're using padlet in that way is to help is basically almost just to distribute distribute the information yep okay got you okay awesome yep all right and, and then, then, I mean, with Padlet also, like I said, you could collaborate, you could do that, but you could also, I've had it as a bell ringer, they come in, answer the question, and then we can sort and talk about the the responses up on the board as well. So when you're sorting, like, so it looks, so basically when you have Padlet up, like I've seen it a couple of times, I haven't used it at my, I mean, I've uh, interacted with it with somebody else, like kind of posting it or whatever. But um, it basically looks like little, like you basically add your own like little note card post on the background, yep. post it situation. And so, um, so as the person who's kind of hosting that and displaying it, you can sort them. Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Pull yep. them into different groups. And you can. Like, okay. And All if right. like, for instance, as a teacher, if there's inappropriate ones, you get the power to X out, yeah. That's which what is I like wonderful. Yeah, that's what I like on Kahoot with yes. my games too, is X, Xing those out. 
All right, cool. Anything else you highly recommend for classroom teachers? Um, I am this year, my goal is to use more hyperdocs. I think they do not get enough attention. Um, I truly feel like you need to follow a hyperdoc template, though, and not just have a hyperlinked document. It needs to mm-hmm. have the engage, the explore, the explain, collaborate, evaluate, and then extend portions to it. Um, I think for differentiation and getting to all your small groups and working with those kids one-on-one, the hyperdocs are super, super important. So can you tell me just like a little bit, like how would you have those, how do you have those elements? I mean, I know you're saying like basically go look for a template for that Mm -hmm. Um, and then maybe type in, like would it make sense to type in like the five E's like template or would do you think that? Um, I just, so on our um, EHE winter tech challenge, Mm -hmm. the hyper, I think it's hyperdocs.co website is there and they have the one that I just explained that's where I had taken that template okay um and so they have it there and then you just fill in with what however you want to engage the students however you want them to explore the not their knowledge however you want them to explain it and then so on and so forth okay got you um so I'm also wondering so we kind of covered all of these are tools that you can use like as a teacher or facilitate your classroom as a teacher I'm kind of wondering are there favorite tools that you have um, that you really like to work with the students, like kind of day-to-day, like, or even like we do Coding Club together, or just what are some of your favorite tech tools that you like to see students exploring with, like, or any any of the things, too. It doesn't have to necessarily be tech, but with the maker side, too, like any of that stuff. What are some of the things that you feel like you've seen high engagement on? Do you see progress? You know, what are the, the tools you like in kids' hands? Um, my second graders have been super engaged with the Snap Circuits and Makey Makeys, uh, this was my first year teaching with both of those tools and it was a game changer like I'm like whoa look at the magic that we just made happen and the magic in their eyes was amazing um I love seeing them in coding when they realize that they're actually coding like some kids are like oh I'm just I'm just you know pushing buttons doing this but when they see something come to life so we had some kids create um a dance party for the hour of code and when they saw that they could actually make the dancers move to the music, their eyes were so huge and so big, and it was it was awesome. Um, the other thing I like to use with the kids or I like to see them do is, like, today we got some students into clap motion and doing a stop-motion animation. And kiddos that are super low and didn't perform well on our first design challenge because it involved research really excelled today whenever I was like, all right, I need you to make a quick stop motion winter video with Play-Doh. They were able to create something that I never thought was possible. And when they're doing things like, so when they're doing stop motion, um, that is like basically you're using iPads usually or using your Chromebooks? Um, The clap motion um, extension is on Chromebooks, but I also have the stop motion app on my iPads, but we only have four iPads in our innovation lab right now. Okay. And um, do you, when you're doing that, do you usually use a green screen or do you use whatever? Or do you make them make a background? So my second graders are also doing this project. My second graders are creating a background. My um, fourth graders are allowed to create a background or use a green screen background and then we'll drop it into a green screen app. Okay. All right, cool. All right. Well, is there anything else that you think that um, needs to be said or that you think people might be interested in uh, about technology in the schools, technology for kids? 
Um, I just think that you need to embrace it. Um, It's the world that we live in, and if we don't teach our kids how to use it responsibly then and respectfully, then we're doing a disservice to them and we're doing a disservice to ourselves. We, I mean, as a team, we spoke and we said we did not want Smithville kids behind due to not knowing how to use technology and how to put themselves above and beyond their competitors once they got out of high school. And so we said, what do we have to do now to get them there? And so just do what you can, ask for help, try again, you will fail, and hopefully you'll have somebody there that will walk through it with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this interview. You're welcome. All right, we are back. This is Levi Evans here. Going to be sitting down talking to you guys about something I was thinking a lot about this past weekend. So, uh, maybe it was two weekends ago now, I went to a youth basketball game. All right, uh, I had a family member playing. It was kind of something I hadn't been to in a while, so I had to make sure I got out there. I checked it out. Um, and I got out there a little early. We ended up watching another game uh, before before. Our uh, niece ended up playing, and it was kind of crazy because I was at this basketball game. Uh, I used to be a big basketball player. I, I loved, not that I was good, but I just loved basketball. I played it my whole life. It was really that and tennis were the only sports I ever cared much about. And it was interesting going back into that environment and looking at it uh, kind of from the outside. Uh, my daughter's way too young to play youth sports, and so it was just this interesting new look for me at something I had experienced my whole life, but I hadn't known it. Um, to kind of paint the picture for you, I'm, I'm sitting in this game, I'm watching these two teams play before my niece even even makes the court, and it was quite the thriller, a uh, 16-15 win. I, it was a championship of this tournament game. And uh, really, the team that I thought had played the best ended up losing. You know, they had the 15 points. Uh, but they as a team just played such great team defense and they, they worked together. Uh, it really came down to a, a certain player on the other team was just way more athletic, uh, more skilled uh, than anybody on the other team. Um, but I was mesmerized, not really with the game itself, but the environment that this game had created amongst the parents, the kids, the referees, everyone. You know, it, it's this funny thing that we hear now all the time that everyone, uh, all, all, all youth sports, they're all playing for a participation trophy. And, and maybe it's just me, maybe this is just Missouri, but I didn't get that feeling at all. Um, it was all about the result. It was all about the win. And I started thinking about this. It, and why is this the case that this youth sports, this fifth grade girls basketball game, why is it that the only thing that matters to everybody in the gym is who wins and who loses? You know, that team I told you that I thought had played better and ended up losing, they were the ones dejected after the game. Their parents were the ones so upset, some of them at the refs, sometimes some of them at the kids, um, that they couldn't get past that just result. They couldn't see the bigger picture. And it kind of started getting me to think just how we are in education, how how these two things ended up connecting with each other. Uh here in Missouri, just recently, we got our uh, map testing scores back, our, our mandated you know, state testing, the high-stakes test. And all I could think about was how similar 
these environments are. Um, for these girls and these, these, this basketball and girls, boys, I mean, it was the whole tournament feel. Um, it was so competitive, but, but not competitive really to me in that fun way, but that competitive is that there was only one thing that mattered, the, the result, the win, the victory. Um, and I started watching and looking around and, and seeing that, that these things are the same. We have students and, and, and parents who just care about one thing and the result. And it's the same way in education. We know it's wrong, but we care about one thing, the result. You know, I thought about it in that gym after watching this basketball game that if I had went to every parent and asked them what their goal was for their child playing basketball, almost none of them would have said to win. None of those parents would have said, oh, to win tournaments like this. They'd have said for their daughter or their sons to get better, to <clears throat> learn the skills necessary for the game, to learn sportsmanship and teamwork, to learn how to deal with adversity. All of these things would have been what they talk about. And yet all of the actions that I saw were about the result, not that journey. Everyone in the gym would have known that the most important thing in this fifth grade game was for those those teams, those players to just get better, to keep working, to improve. Yet instead, the whole focus was on the outcome, the result. I started thinking about why we do this. Why do parents and teachers so focus on the result? What is it that makes that become the most important thing? Uh, and I think it kind of comes down to a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, it's the most measurable. It's so easy to measure a result. It's a win or it's a loss. It is a victory or a defeat. Those are the easiest things in the world to measure. So we sit there and we do it because it's the easiest. I thought that was number one. Number two is it's a way a lot of times for us to show that we care, we think. Often it's those loudest that feel like by being loud, by, you know, maybe in a basketball sense, yelling at a referee and getting kicked out of a game or coaching up your kid on the sideline, well, instead of letting the coach do it, it's the sense that if we're showing them we care, that's how we show the other parents, the other students, that we care the most. And I think that's kind of funny that that's what we're trying to show and we're doing it in the completely wrong way. Uh, I was watching this game and I was seeing these kids model their parents' behavior from the sidelines, their coaches' behavior sometimes. There was fifth, fifth grade kids refusing to give a ball to a referee because their parents were over there yelling at the referee constantly trying to get their attention. And I, I know this is a, a small sample size that I'm seeing here. And I, and I know I'm speaking of probably the worst of the youth sports and that it's not happening all over. But I thought it was an interesting way to show that we are modeling the behavior that we expect from our students, from children. So when we see that, when we see that behavior, when we start acting a certain way, it's going to be modeled constantly. We've gotten so obsessed with not just giving out the particip participation trophies now. 
You know, that's the idea, is that winning does matter and that these results can matter. But we're forgetting again that the most important part is the journey, is the process. If the most important part was to win a small tournament as a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grader, then the journey's over, then it doesn't matter. But if it's about the journey, if it's about the long-term goals, then every little step matters, win or lose. And so it was all I could think about watching this game, seeing, seeing the coaches freak out, uh, some of the parents get kicked out of the game, all these different things I was watching. And all I could think about was, this is just like a school come map testing time. I mean, it reminded me exactly of it. It's all about the result. It's all about the final number with high-stakes testing. It's not about the process. That doesn't mean anything. You don't see that change. We don't focus on that. We focus on this top, this pass, this, this advanced or this proficient score. But that's not what matters. That's not the substance. Does that score equal a career? Does it equal confidence? Or do we crush that confidence all year trying to get the result? Results rarely have anything to do with confidence. I mean, that, that sounds crazy because we think, we think losses drive confidence. And it's not what drives our confidence and our motivations. Passion and purpose drive those things. But often, we lose our confidence based on what's modeled in front of us. You look at John Hattie. Teachers' belief in their students is the number one indicator of student success. If a teacher believes in their students, the students are so much more likely to have success. It's not about that result. It's not about crushing the confidence. It's about being so positive on the process. There's so much more substance within the process than there is the result. And what's funny is just like that basketball game, if you ask every single educator what's most important, a student growing in confidence, a student growing, a student finding their passion or their purpose, or a high-stakes testing result, almost every teacher that I know will tell you the first things, that passion, that confidence, that purpose, if we can give them that, that's what matters the most. And yet as I sit here, as I start to think about it, and as I was sitting in that gym, I thought, but what do teachers still do? What's their focus? Way too many end up having to focus on the result. Maybe they're put in an environment where the result is the only thing that matters. But then all of a sudden, if that's what matters most to us, we start modeling that behavior to our students. We start modeling that that high-stakes testing is the only thing that matters. And that's a dangerous game. It's so dangerous to let students think that. And I know it's easy to say, uh, it's easy to just be like, well, yeah, we know this, we know this, we know this. But it's so hard to do. The environments are exactly the same. We have to push ourselves away. Not, not so far that results don't matter at all. But knowing how to look at results. 
how to track that growth, how to track to see where our process has taken us and to see results for what they are. A snapshot, a picture of that day, that week. Oftentimes I thought about those parents in the room that were, I think, trying to do what they thought was best for their kid and and were so invested in the game. But were often, I thought, modeling the behavior that they wouldn't want their students and their kids to showcase. And I thought about it in the same way as education often. Education often, it's the loudest, sometimes the most tweeting maybe online, that we somehow think that equals caring as a teacher. And it doesn't. How we treat our staff or our struggling students as teachers reflect the people we are or the mindset we have so much more than how much we tweet or what our results say. Yet so often we feel like and I mean, I'm a victim of this myself. I hadn't tweeted for a couple of weeks, and I felt like a bad teacher for not tweeting, for not showcasing what we had done as a school. But does that matter? It's something fun. I, I think it can help. I, I think it's a good reminder. And I think it's good for sometimes students to have that, that public audience. But who's it for? Are we just being those parents sometimes, thinking, oh, if we're the loudest, if we tweet the most, all these other teachers will see this facade sometimes of, of what our classroom really looks like. And, and I get caught up in that all the time, watching these other teachers on Twitter and feeling inadequate, feeling like I'm not good enough. And instead, that's not the substance. That's not the process. So we're getting caught up in all these different things that don't matter because it's so easy to in this world, in this education that we live in. Why do we do this? Why is it the results that matters? Why is it that we know what's right? We know that the process is the most important. We know that those end goals are so much more important than the small little result. Yet that's all we focus on. I think, one, because it's easier. It's just easier to measure. It's so much easier. We've decided that that's how it's supposed to be. Maybe we blame the state. Maybe we blame the system. We blame all these other things. Maybe we blame, well, that's what the other team is doing. That's what the other school is doing, so that's what we have to do. It's so easy to do that. Easy is almost never good. You ever notice that? Easy is almost never good. You know what's good? You know what's harder? Taking a stand, doing what's right and not worrying about the result. Showing our students that mindset, work ethic, these things are so much more important tools in life. Let's create new age thinkers and workers who are better than us. They don't think and do the things the way we did it, but a better way. Isn't that what we're supposed to be creating? A better generation. And yet so often we try to just create the same. So I challenge you today to think. And it's that time of year where it's so easy for schools to do this as we're coming up here. Are we results driven? Or are we going to be process-driven? I'm not talking about just a participation trophy at the end and we're done here. 
But are we going to be process-driven? Win, lose, the result. Are we going to take it? And are we going to let it drive our process to be the best? To change the world? And I think if we really want education to change, and we want it to be the way that all these teachers want it to be, we have to be process-driven. We have to change this mindset that the result is what matters. And it's not going to be easy. The easy thing is going to be to just care about that result. But I challenge you today to really look and say, I'm going to be process driven. I'm not going to have to do this to be the loudest, to be the one that's the most out there, to proving that they're doing something. But I'm going to go in and show my students that the process is what matters. Thank you, as always, to listening to my ramblings. I know I was all over the place today. I had like this huge note page for my iPhone of all these things I saw. And, and I still didn't even get to most of them. But thank you guys for listening in. Hopefully we'll have an episode for you next month. We're kind of moving more towards the one episode a month type time. Um, but I've loved talking to you guys. Uh, this will be out before the holidays. I hope you have a wonderful holidays from the NSL podcast to you guys. Um, be thinking about that process and have a great holiday season. We will see you guys come January. Thanks.